Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's going on, Archons? Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I am your Keyforge friend. My name is Blake, aka Boulevard Blake, and I am joined by my moonlighting podcast partner these past, uh, I guess, month and a bit now, uh, the illustrious Zach Armstrong. What's going on, buddy? Hello. Hello. Yes, I'm the the full moon over helping future yourself. <laughs> Mathematically impossible on the crucible. So what is uh, that? Yeah, what can you do? <laughs> this week, we are coming at you with a topic that I think is going to be of no surprise. There has been obviously the fantastic news that Keyforge is alive and kicking and has moved on over into a new company having acquired the IP. And uh, I just have to say that I am super stoked that Ghost of Galaxy has taken over Keyforge. Zach, what was your initial thoughts hearing this news? Uh, my initial thoughts, uh, my very first thoughts were, ah, ah, it was just <laughs> lots of screaming. Um, and then my second thoughts was, this was the best possible way for Keyforge to move forward. Ghost okay. Galaxy, of course, yeah, owned by Christian T. Peterson, who was a part of the president of FFG and Asmodee uh, when the original Keyforge deal was made. And he is a board game nerd at heart. Uh, and, uh, of course, they'll still have to prove themselves as a company with, with Keyforge. However, uh, I have hope. I have hope. They've got to prove themselves, but I've got hope. Yeah, I, I echo your sentiments, especially in best-case scenario. I think the game staying with FFG would have been actually the worst, to be very frank. Like, I just mm. think the way the game's been run, there's been so many things that have gone wrong along the path to this point that I imagine, as just like maybe the team that is there having to deal with it, there must be some frustration or even, you know, built up resentment, not necessarily like, like, oh, resent, resentment, but like, just from it just being one issue after another, you kind of get this thing. The love turns a little bit sour. You know what I mean? Yeah. And at the top, FFG, you know, is owned by Day, and Day is owned by like investment firms now, now Embracer Group, which is a little more stable than PAA Partners. But it's still the, the from what I can tell and from what I have seen and heard, like the culture has changed at FFG. It used to be a place where, you know, if you want to make board games, you get hired at FFG, you stay there for life. But uh, like all those people have left, I don't think there's anybody at FFG who we see who has been there for, you know, 10 years. I think all those people left um, Andrew Navarro off to Earthborn Games and and uh, even Corey Konitska uh, is off to his own still under Day, but his own studio. So, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people have have left in it. Yeah. So I, I think Keyforge getting out of there was a was a good move as yeah, much as I was... love Aaron and Aaron and Danny. Yeah, it's I I agree. I mean, I I remember even messaging um, Sky Jedi and being like, "What is the likelihood that this could be a community owned game, and everyone gets together and pulls money in different forms and buys the IP, and it's literally owned by the community?" 
and he was like, no chance. <laughs> It'd have to yeah, be like uh, one person uh, or something. Yeah, but, I, I, I agree. <laughs> but at this, that, that's where my head was at, is this game needed to leave FFG to, I think, reach its heights and obviously becoming essentially a flagship game under Ghost Galaxy is going to make it, you know, they're going to want to be with it. And the people who founded Ghost Galaxy are the people who essentially founded Keyforge. So the love for the game between them is all there. And it was great to have a little blurb from uh, Richard Garfield on the site as well, basically essentially co-signing this. Yeah. I, I love that Keyforge is uh, at the moment Ghost Galaxy's only game. They talked about, they were in preparations to make other kind of, um, algorithmically assisted or algorithmically generated card games when Asmodee approached them saying, hey, you want to buy this? So this is their only game and they're a small studio. So I'm I'm excited. Uh, it's If you follow me on Twitter, something you'll notice is that I don't play Flesh and Blood. However, I read all of the blog posts and follow everything that the studio running Flesh and Blood, I follow everything they do, Legend Story Studios, because... They have great communication. They make smart long-term decisions for the health of the game and the health of the players, which wins player loyalty and gets more players into it, which means they can have a sustainable long-term lucrative product through a good game with community trust. And I think our best chance at having something similar to that is Ghost Galaxy. Yeah, fresh start. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I'm, I'm over the moon. I know it's going to be a bit more of a wait uh, based on the things they've said in the blog post, which I know we'll we'll be reviewing, uh, so we'll have a bit more of a wait. But at least it's a, a hopeful, a hopeful wait instead of a macabre one. Yes, indeed, indeed, very well said. So, with that being said, let's go on to discuss the article, the once and future Keyforge. First mm. off, right off the top, we can uh, state that the logo had a bit of a change. Yeah, the Keyforge logo, that's right. <laughs> a very minor change, but a change nonetheless. Yeah, it's uh it's a smooth color across the across the letters. And I know mm-hmm. a blinking line celebrated the fact that the O is no longer filled in. <laughs> <laughs> Which was very funny. Yeah, that is that is good. And uh speaking of blinking line, let's talk about the piece of art that uh, basically bannered this article, which looks like some sort of automaton phoenix with a furnace of some kind at the heart. And what could that possibly be, Zach? My first thought was it looked like some sort of uh, corrupted or, you know, soaked in amber power uh, infomorph from mass mutations, but we don't have logos this time. So out of the remaining houses, it's, uh, we, we discussed this briefly, but my guess, best guess is it's some sort of Brobnar, Brobnar Phoenix bird or Brobnar warbird, just based on the, 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 the shape of, uh, it's, it's metal bits that we can see in there. Totally. That was, that was exactly my thoughts as well. Uh, I got Khalifi dragon vibes, but way more metal. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think yeah. this will be interesting to see. I, I totally forgot in all the, the hullabaloo of whether Keyforge was going to exist or not that Brobnar was coming back. And I and I have to <laughs> say, doing all these bouncing Death Quark revisits, I've mm-hmm. really found that I appreciate 
Brobnar more, especially from the way that Co Dameron speaks about Brobnar. Like you can tell yeah. he is of huge fondness for the Coda Brobnar. And um yeah, I'm just I'm just excited to see them come back because I, I think they will come back very strong based on how disliked they were when they left. I think that's the right. only route you can take them. You have to bring them back. Like almost almost OP, I feel like is how they have to come back to make up for it. Like <laughs> I, I everyone wants that. Brobnar. <laughs> I would love if they came back and were on the power level of Worlds Collide, Saurians or Worlds Collide, uh, Star Alliance, right? I uh, honestly yeah. think you could, I think you could make it with very little new card additions if you just took the pool and were selective between the three oh, sets sure. and got rid of the chaff, so to speak. You could, yeah. you could be stuck with something very, very powerful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, just building a Brobnar set out of kind of all the best stuff from its first three sets, the only sets it was in, I think, I think you could make, I think you could make some, uh, a great list, a great list based off of that. Um, well, something I love about Brobnar, I would love to see a little bit intentionally is, uh, how well they function when they have ready and fight effects, but they fought everything off the board. So then you yes. get to do the, the ready and fight, but then you reap instead little combos, whether it's gauntlet of command or gang or not, or even forget war grumpus, um, I would yeah. I would love to see that leaned into a little bit, like specifically, hey, here's your reward for clearing the board uh, while you've called Brobnar, you know? Yeah, I I agree. The fight reward and Ember generation that comes as a secondary function as achieving said result. Exactly, exactly. So why don't we dive on into? Um, as you suggested, let's let's focus on, I guess, their six-point plan and, and have a little discussion about that. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the six things they said will occupy their time in the weeks ahead. So to me, to me, this is really in my head. This is what are they doing for the rest of 2022 in my head? Right. Yes. So the first point they mentioned is the software engine, which is basically the thing that broke and they need to get back online and mm-hmm. um they state that they're they're obviously working at it to get everything rendering and doing everything going and it's going to take a number of months which is a, a very nice way of putting it because it's it's very non-specific but also not uh feeling like an extreme amount of time i think most of us hear a number of months and we're thinking two or three <laughs> that's sure. that's our hopeful sure. minds yeah now, with, with their acquisition of uh, people who used to work at FFG, I'm fairly certain, I would have to check the other blog posts, but I believe they have uh, they have the people or persons who were involved in development of the algorithm at the outset F, at FFG. So they have people very familiar with the process, and uh, this is their, you know, they get to do version two, basically, which is exciting. I wonder what... If they're like, okay, if I had to do this all over again, these are things I would change. And now they're at that point. <laughs> right. I wonder how exactly. many things are going to happen as a result of that. And you, you know what? You know what this makes me suspect this entire block of text, how they talk about their software engine working on it. My, I, I'm suspicious that as soon as they like when when um, the algorithm was broken, and I'm, I'm fairly certain it's by ransomware. Keep your eye on. Call of Discovery for that. Um, uh, 
After it broke, I'm not sure they spent any effort on rebuilding it. I wonder if selling this IP was like was in their minds as soon as <laughs> as soon as they were like announcing the algorithm broke, you know. You mean it was just a matter of how can we let's offload this game or we're just going to let it die type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, because uh Ghost Galaxy in this blog post does not indicate that they received like anything from Asmodee or FFG regarding a rebuilt algorithm. Um, so, I mean, perhaps that is part of the work is they got something from FFG or Asmodee uh, that they're, they're working from that base. Um, or maybe they did and they're starting from scratch because they're like, you know, you all went about that a, a, the wrong way. So uh, anyways, I just uh, I just have no trust in Asmodee. So that's what that made me think. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm with you too. I mean, I heard yeah. I heard a lot of naysayers speaking about I guess the way they've had experience with FFG and Asmodee and some of the the gaming experiences where they just get I, I think Destiny players are the ones who cry loudest during these times. And yeah. it's just a matter of of I was like I never had experience with it, so I I kind of had uh I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, so to speak. I was not uh, having any previous bad experiences, but it started to weigh heavy. My positivity engine was uh, was chugging along and puttering to try and <laughs> and stay stay positive as things went down a very dark path, we'll call it. But here we are. Yeah, there is light, sunshine, and rainbows ahead. Indeed. Yep. Sun, sunshine and rainbows. Sunshine and rainbows. So um, now the commercial release plan. Yes. That's a that's an interesting thing to to talk about in general because that's that is the the big thing. Like you are taking something that essentially I think I think I would have to say at least twenty five percent of the player base left. Oh, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as far 40. as like not engaging with Keyforge content yes. or maybe not not playing their decks anywhere outside of, you know, maybe casually with one friend. Yeah, I'd say at least 25, if not 50. Because I think there's a lot of people who, if you cannot competitively play, it's not just about playing the game, it's playing to win and achieve something. They The spikes, we'll call them, obviously. they I think they check out. As soon as they know that's not something that exists, mm. they're not there. And I think... This was to the detriment of the Keyforge fan base, and to the 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 boon of flesh and blood. <laughs> yeah, I- indeed. I, I think that strong organized play, both at that local and regional level, is a big draw for people who want this to be a competitive lifestyle game. Which yeah. uh, I have a big desire for. That I have traveled to a lot of the. The big events. That's where we met in person for the first time. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, I'll read the text of this point. Actually, uh, the commercial release plan here. They said, given the long hiatus of the game, we need to make some big decisions about how we intend to bring this game back to market, and provided the software engine is ready, timing and composition of releases. This includes the timing of Winds of Exchange. So, really, this is them planning. How do we relaunch KeyForge in the most successful possible way? I mean, ideally, I'm sure they would love to have this ready to be put out by the holiday season because that's obviously a 
very much a, a desirable time to to have something go to market. But mm-hmm. I think I don't know just just the the idea of being able to print decks alone, the time that would take. I don't think it's even right. possible. Right. Well, I do know, uh, and they talk about this a little bit later, but as far as where things are being printed, so there's the algorithm finishing, and then they have all the cards for Winds of Exchange, so then they need to generate the decks, and that's generating print-ready files, which this is a new type of printing, so a lot of printers work, you know, that took a lot of figuring out, but they're going to be doing a lot of the printing at Artiforge, which is a company owned by Christian T. Peterson, so it's a sister company. Uh, they're going to be printing that in the states at uh, in the Minneapolis area. This was a, a printing facility FFG obtained in the mid 20 teens. Uh, I remember that's when I was a Netrunner fan, and they announced, "Hey, we're looking at Netrunner draft, and all that stuff's going to be printed here in house." So it's going to be distributed a little bit differently because we don't have to wait for it to come overseas. Oh, so, nice! So that's, yeah. that's a so, month off the timeline, right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So still don't know if that would be holiday, right? But um, yeah. I think with the distribution starting in the U.S. for most products, they did say a few will be overseas. But um, with the distribution in the U.S. for most products, that's going to that's gonna take a, a lot of the, the logistical load off of, off of getting this game back to market. Yes, and um, we're not going to go too deep into... Winds of exchange, but the stuff they they did tease, which was nice to see them do that, uh, it makes me excited for the the token gimmick that's coming, and we'll discuss so that excited. at a later date. But yeah, it's so uh, it's, excited, yeah. Because before we got a little bit from FFG that there were tokens, but absolutely, like aside from there are tokens, they gave no information to actually make you excited that tokens existed. Just a lot of <laughs> questions of how. That's right. And they nicely explained it uh, in another that's article right. here, which was great. Um, And uh, Richard Garfield actually spoiled that tokens would be coming in. He spoiled that years ago. I want to say in early 2019, he was on a a podcast focusing on L5R called Art of War, I want to say. And they brought him on on for a quick Keyforge conversation. And he he spoiled the fact that uh, tokens will be (laughs) tokens will be coming at some point. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Yeah. Now, um. Let's skip the next point and just jump to localized versions and swing back to sure. the other point. Just just because I feel talking about the printing stage, it might be worthwhile to talk about mm-hmm. the localized versions. Yeah. So I'll I'll read this blurb for everyone, just you know, because I think it's uh, it's important to know what they're saying here. It says under Asmodi, Keyforge was published in a great number of languages. We'll be meeting with the distributors and co-publishers that made such language editions possible to gauge interest and viability of continuing any given localization. We can tell you that with our small team, it is almost certain that some, if not all, localizations may be discontinued. In any case, our focus will be on English language releases. Mm. Well, with what you just said about it starting off in the U.S., that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and I know that's there. Uh, this team that they have right now, there may be like five people at Ghost Galaxy. So that would be a lot of outsourcing and coordinating outsourcing and whole new uh, like workflow structures to get everything translated properly and, and double checked and then printed and distrib- and then, you know, then those decks distributed. Um, I mean, I am sad to see a lot of the other foreign languages go. I've actually been trying to collect one of every language since Me this too. announcement. Yeah. 
Um, but I do know, so this is just uh, anecdotal anecdotal feedback from, from Discord. Some communities uh, that have a non-English local language uh, are mostly playing in English already mm. because those decks were available and uh, in a lot of these countries, you know, being bilingual is pretty normal. So um, the people are playing in English already. But I've also seen, especially from uh, some Portuguese-speaking communities, and a few, one or two others, that the lack of localized decks is going to be a major hit for their scene, and some people are not likely to play with uh, without localized decks. So, um, I so mean, we I understand see the international they, community shrink a little. Uh, a little, yeah, a little. Now, what, what I'm what I'm hoping is that you know maybe Ghost Galaxy, if they're just going to pick like one or two languages to do they can reach out to all of these active players that are all over the world and say hey which are the communities that really don't want to play in english like culturally or just locally or what whatever that doesn't matter the reason who what are the communities where a localized version would really help and maybe they could just focus on on those but uh, i i understand with such a tiny company taking on such a huge game for their first game, that they have to, they have to save themselves work somewhere. Uh, yeah, so it stinks, ma- you but know I get it. There's hope. I hope. But. Maybe a solution will be like how we were using the the Master Vault app. Is that when you scan a deck, you can actually see it in your native language, so that way they don't have to have physically printed versions, but you can still mm. translate everything and read it through your through your app. Yeah, there, there, there might be a possibility because the the, the uh, community people doing these things for free has done even bigger projects before. But I wonder if there would be something uh, that reads the Master Vault and then the community translates. You know, people who speak that language translate the cards, and so you can have an app that has a reference in your language up. Um, mm-hmm. I could see that know, happening that for be, sure. That that would that would be cool and well within the skill set of all the amazing. Keyforge, uh, you know, people who make make things like uh, extensions and D, you know um, Chrome extensions and DOK and all these sorts of things that would seem to be within the wheelhouse. Totally. I mean, I think if we were going to see a second language come out, I would not be surprised if it's Italian because they seem mm. to be the largest non-English segment of Keyforge players. I would say that seems sure. visible. You know, just from looking at DOK, it seems like the amount of Italian decks on there is insane. Yes. Now that, that being said, um, every time I've interacted with, you know, Italian members of the Keyforge community, like most people are, are quite bilingual and at the very least could, you know, read, read an, uh, you know, read a Keyforge card in English, no problem. So I'm not sure. Now, of course I'd have to ask, uh, you know, any, any Italian Keyforge fans, let me know. Um, but I think the Italian community is one that can play in English, no problem in that that wouldn't right. that wouldn't uh hurt them but um y- yes you're you're 100 right that like italy is huge for card games and has, is huge for keyforge whenever i see that little italian flag as somebody's profile picture on tco i know i need to fight for my life <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair, fair fair point yeah <laughs> all right on to organized play which i think is probably going to be our most juicy part of this conversation. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that they're addressing this, it has 
the most text out of any of these uh, for the most part. And what they say is from a logical perspective, it makes sense. But from, I think, a community perspective, it will be where the most discourse will come. Oh, for sure. Uh, Shall I go ahead and uh, read that section? Yes. Real quick to freshen it up in the ears here. Uh, The ability to enjoy Keyforge in person and in context of a fun competitive scene will be a critical priority for us. Many felt the former organized play program was confusing and spread across too many game variants. We will be looking to streamline and condense competitive Keyforge play. We will also be working on transitioning to a new version of the GEM tournament software used by Asmodee to handle deck registrations and result reporting. Lots to do. Yes. Um, well, let's let's address the elephant in the room first off, which is mm. getting rid of game variants. I mean, the fact that in the hiatus, we have probably tripled the amount of game variants that right. exist just <laughs> <laughs> online community. That yeah. alone speaks to to this, but now, um, that being said, I, I think it's for organized play. They'll be simplifying what variants are used. I I don't think it would make sense that they quote unquote remove variants from you know the official rule book. But I think for organized play, my guess is that um, they'll be simplifying like what tournaments are called and what the structure is. And also simplifying what variants are played at that high level. That's that's mm. my guess. That's my guess. See, I see adaptive not going away. If, if anyone's staying, I mm. think that one stays, even though it's probably my least favorite. <laughs> sure, Simply sure. because of the fact that uh, it utilizes chains, which are essentially not really used in any mm. other way. I see triad being the one that could be removed and that's the one oh, I'd be the most no. sad I think, about. I think Archon Triad's the, a pinnacle of skill testing and Dexaleshkin. Yeah. I would I would hope uh, Archon Triad stays. I hope Sealed Triad uh, goes the way of, of... It doesn't make well, sense. FFG. <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't make sense. The Sealed yeah. Triad. It doesn't, it doesn't work the way the, the format's intended in any shape or form. It's Agreed. literally you're just rolling dice. It's not like having the the amount of skill you need is not the same as playing like having having not the greatest deck in single deck sealed versus that existing in triad. It's just the odds are so stacked against you. Yeah, because I, I I think what they're talking about here is for organized play from the local level up. They just want a program that's clear to understand. When people think competitive Keyforge, there's probably one or two variants, right? Maybe across Sealed and Archon. They want that to be easy to understand, easy for people to talk about, so that players come in, so that people hear about it, so that when you're playing competitive Keyforge, there's not one of you know five or six variants you might be playing. If you're playing competitive Keyforge, you're traveling, right? You're trying to win things. There's you know a, a variant you're, you're specializing in. There's mm-hmm. a variant you're specializing in, right? Like uh, adaptive is is so close to the spirit of Keyforge. I think especially best of one adaptive, um, and then uh, Archon Triad, uh, Archon Triad. I, I will con- continue to hold that um, anybody with a collection of, um, I think it only takes a few hundred dollars to make a competitive Archon Triad uh, a setup, and that's why I love it. I love it so much. 
Fair. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I would love to see the uh, the sealed adaptive become a thing where you, you each choose oh, a deck, course. and if you choose the same deck, then you bid chains. But if you end up swapping decks, you get to look at your own deck list that your opponent's playing, but they don't. They have to play it blind. I still think that is one of the most exhilarating ways of playing Keyforge. <laughs> sure. Sure. I think sealed adaptive... Um uh, just a straight up sealed adaptive where you do get to see your own deck and then you're playing a, a regular adaptive match um, over three that might be that might be a premier like competitive way to play sealed uh, because that's just so that's so skill testing and you do get to play through uh, three games to help reduce variance uh, which is yeah. which is nice agreed yeah, but uh, I would love to hear more about their overall goals for the reorganizing. Um, like, I generally get it, but I would love to hear them expound upon this uh, in the coming months just to kind of get an idea of what are their overall goals? What do they really want this to look like? Um, but I, I've, I've got hopes. I would just love to know a little bit more. I have a feeling uh, in terms of information we get, I think this will be probably come before the actual release first like we're going to hear more about op before we hear about everything being ready and stuff like mm-hmm. that just because it's information they can plan out and disseminate i think easily without having the physical product ready yeah i, I agree i agree i think that's likely yes and uh, moving on to deck registration and player accounts uh, not too much of a, a meaty topic here but it, it looks like they have a pretty seamless in uh I guess in in planning seamless <laughs> situation. Uh, they have out plans, here. and they have told us they have plans. Um, yep. Which to this hurt little FFG fanboy is like, you know, pouring milk and honey in a river in front of me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically saying, "Hey, heads up! You're going to have to transfer your accounts." So um, I think it's good they're telling us this now because then you know all the. Anybody consuming Keyforge content, if all the content creators are saying, go, hey, remember to transfer your account, transfer your account. Like, you have to do it by XYZ date or, you know, it's gone. Um, it's going to be, uh, yeah, we'll have to shout it from the mountaintops to make sure everybody everybody's remembering to do that. I mean, worst case scenario is you have to scan all your decks again. That's literally worst oh, case scenario. That's true. Oh, that's true. Now that I think about it, you're right. That's a worst case scenario, and that's not so, that's not so bad. I'll only be sad if I lose the the data that is in my account, like I, I'm very religious about tracking my wins and losses in the oh, app wow. for a deck. Okay. So if I lost that, I would be a little bit upset. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope your wins and losses, uh, your private wins and losses records are not <laughs> are not a cost of uh, <laughs> the transition to Ghost Galaxy here. <laughs> I mean, for the decks I really care about, I'll maybe create a little spreadsheet just as my own little backup. But for sure, but yeah. And then uh, sure. to wrap things up, we have player communications, which can I you, think Can you this... read this one just so I can hear it again? Because I love yes. it so much. <laughs> it says, we will be working to provide players with frequent communications related to our Keyforge plans, including previews of new products such as Winds of Exchange, game rules updates, and other information. We hope to create an FAQ for the Keyforge transition in the days to come. So the fact they already that delivered on one of those, <laughs> they what? They already delivered on that last one. The FAQ is up already. There you go. 
So, uh, so there we go. They're they're already moving in a more positive direction than the previous caretakers of this game. Yeah. <laughs> and um, this isn't. And we promised this was not an FFG bashing episode. It just worked out that we were being honest. Um, so, hundred yeah, percent. Games rules updates. I think that is the most interesting line mm. in this because I'm curious what they're going to change because they could essentially change whatever they want for the most part and make it just canon. Right. Right. And um, being yeah, the creators what, of the game. The book, yeah. Yeah. And, and being creators of the game, I'm wondering if there are things like, I wish we could change this because now's the time you could essentially do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Of course they haven't indicated what what they would change uh, i think if they are looking at organized play and they want this game to uh really really thrive at the top um i think for the most part the rules are very clear and uh, and hold up in most situations um like most games will have though there is a bank of kind of unanswered questions that are very fringe that are very fringe um so i wonder if they'd be they'd be uh making some updates with the intent of uh, clarifying a few systems, right? Uh, like the introduction mm-hmm. of Tagged for Destruction really clarified what happens when you blow everything up, <laughs> uh, which was Basically, nice. we'll, we'll call it the, the Archimedes Gate. Right, yeah, Arca Gate. <laughs> yeah, because that's essentially what caused the whole... That card essentially broke the destroyed ability situation. Yep, it for sure did. It for sure did. I will. I will say. I don't know who came up with it over the Keyforge design team, but tagged for destruction. Uh, I just think it was such a graceful and and made a lot of sense as far as uh, how to adjudicate that on a board, especially for something they technically added in. You know, uh, two sets, two or three sets into the game. I was. I was mm-hmm. very impressed with that. Very impressed with that. So yes, yeah, so we'll have to stay tuned for the game's rules updates. Yeah. And uh, the the frequent communications. Um, I mean, Christian T. Peterson. For anybody who's not aware of this, if you're listening to Keyforge podcasts now, you, you're probably aware of this. But uh, there was a contact us form on the, or there still is on the Keyforging.com website where they're posting all this. And Christian T. Peterson personally responded to, uh, I think every <laughs> every person who filled out that form. Um, and so he's been responding all over the place. And then I think he used those questions, uh, all the most common ones, to generate the FAQ that was put up just a, a few days ago as of recording. So uh, they're definitely being proactive. Then that they, you know their FAQ went up. Um, and then hopefully this fall we get some, uh, or excuse me, uh, the, these, these coming months, uh, this fall in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, you know, this coming spring for the Southern Hemisphere, um, we get some... Uh, we get some previews of Winds of Exchange, which would be so fun. Yes, definitely. I agree. I agree. All right. So let us get on to the second part of these episodes. And uh, that is, when is this card good? Mm -hmm. And we actually allowed the community to come up with suggestions and Zach and I looked in the help from future self chat to see what cards were being discussed and it came down to NARP and swindle and we had a community vote and it was actually surprisingly close 
It was. It was. Final vote was 14 to 10 for Swindle. Yes. So this week we'll be talking about Swindle and when is this card good? My favorite thing about discussing when is Swindle good, and I'll read it out, right? So action card, shadows, just in AOA. Alpha and Omega. So you can only play this card before doing anything else this step, you know, the play, use card step. Then Omega, after you play this card and this step, play steal three. Um, There is no sequencing. There are no sequencing considerations with Swindle because if you're playing Swindle, that's literally all you're doing. Yep. It is all you're doing. It's uh, it's an interesting card. It only appeared in AOA, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of interesting in a way. Uh, it yeah. being common, I think, is the most, uh, I guess, I'm, I'm going to call it odd. It's, I think being common is a very odd thing for this card. Because mm-hmm. obviously you can't have more than one in a deck. I think it's probably got some sort of thing, because I've never seen more than one in a deck. Have you? Uh, I, I haven't. I haven't. I'd have to check on decks of Keyforge real quick to verify that. But I would, I'd bet money that it's a, it's a one of, it's locked to a one of. So I think it would have been better suited as an uncommon. Maybe not rare, but uncommon for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sure is an interesting one because instead of, you know, instead of figuring it into a sequence somewhere or doing a combo with it, which you pretty much can't, not a, you know, a one-turn combo anyways, it can help you get Amber. But you basically have to ask, okay, what did my opponent's immediate previous turn look like? What does their next turn look like? So it doesn't make sense for me to do nothing except play one card and steal three amber because you're not going to cycle. Uh, it's going to be a six amber swing total. And depending on what the match looks like, that might not be uh, enough of a tempo swing in your favor to, to really be worth it. And uh, at other times, it is exactly the right tempo. Uh, it's exactly the right tempo to really continue to push yourself forward. I think we can state, and this is not exactly uh, glass, mind-blowing, shattering, all these sort of different euphemisms for the best play possible to say that using it to take someone off check and put yourself into check is when this card is best. Sure. Uh, yeah, generally, yeah, generally, I'd agree with that. I think there'd be uh, positions, board states where your opponent has so much momentum. And by that, I mean, you know, they've been hand cycling. So they have like, you know, four or more cards of a house in a hand. Uh, They have a bunch of stuff they're able to activate on the board. So I think uh, if you're taking somebody off check and putting yourself off check, but then they can use, you know, like a monument to Octavia and then all this other stuff. And like, they do more than, you know, three to six Amber of damage to you. (laughs) Yes. Um, It becomes, you know, I I think the card became worse over time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Would you agree? Like as we got more sets, the card didn't have the same impact because the ways of key denial through just Ember increase uh, the cost of key increase, sorry. And all those other little, nuanced ways that came into the game kind of made it so that it's not going to hold weight but in the vacuum of AOA that swing when there being less ember control in the set I think had Mm -hmm. a little bit more weight to it yeah 
I would say that uh, specifically, it's probably in a very general sense weakest against mass mutation decks who mm-hmm. have a lot of board momentum that they build out because the creatures can do so many different things and the artifacts can do so many different things. Right. So I think against mass mutation, um, you know, you've got <laughs> te- uh, swindle is one tempo specifically when you play it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think mass mutation can often out tempo that in the right in the right situation. I would agree. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, and I think, so my, uh, one of my favorite, uh, illustrations from a real life game of a good swindle usage, uh, was from Vault Tour Richmond in the finals. And it's, it was a usage where it was not involving check or going to check at all, but it was all tempo and predicting tempo and how you could use swindle to at least match your opponent's tempo, if not throw them off a bit and get a little ahead. So uh, Alex, uh, who goes by Lord of Winter, may have, you may know him around from the, the Forge internet. Uh, Alex was facing off with Nathan from Tabletop Royale. Nathan had Swindle in his deck. He was, of course, playing uh, Contphage, Lady General of the Keep. This is where he opened Contphage, his signature deck. And Nathan kept his opening hand that had Swindle in it. He was going second because he knew Alex had Eureka, right, with a pip. It's alpha, gain two amber, archive two random cards from your hand. And he knew that if Alex opened with Eureka, it would be really tough for him to match that amber and that speed. Two cards archived, three amber, unless he responded with Swindle. So uh, Alex Alex played Eureka. Alex did end up having Eureka and playing Eureka. So he ended his turn with three amber, two cards archived. Maybe he got another amber off a card and... Um, Oh, no, excuse me. It would have been his first turn play. And so Nathan just responded with Swindle and took all that amber that that he got. And so he had, Nathan had three amber. Uh, Alex had two cards archived going into to turn two. So um, it was just a really smart way to, to say, oh, you're going to try to start real fast. Well, I'm going to steal all the gas out of your tank. So Interesting. it was uh, just a, I, I like a great yeah, illustration of that for sure. And I guess um, another, speaking of tempo aspects of using the card, using it when you're getting to the end of your deck and you're looking Mm. to do something that requires the use of your discard or you Mm. don't want to flip your deck just yet for any number of reasons, which are failing to come to my mind right now. But being able to not cycle by just playing one card and keeping things going uh, I think is uh, it's it's also very prudent to be used in that way. Oh, I I agree. I agree. I think timing of a discard pile flip when it's relevant for your deck is uh, a very high skill thing to be aware of. And Swindle can help with that because, yeah, a steal three can be a good tempo, but at the cost of only one card, which might, like you said, might be a good thing if you don't want to flip yet. I remember the card I was thinking of was routine jobs. So if you have routine jobs and you have a swindle, those don't work together. And if Mm. you have all your routine jobs already stacked in and the one is going to have a really big effort, there could be so many reasons why you don't want to do it. One is let's say you have a three or four routine job deck and let's maybe say you have two, two are in, two are in hand. You go for the swindle play to slow things down so you don't flip. And you mm-hmm. steal three ember because maybe your opponent doesn't have a lot of ember, but you got a lot of shadows cards in hand. So therefore, calling shadows for the sake of 
cycling is going to yield a very poor result. And if you call another house, you're only playing one card maybe anyways. So playing Swindle gets that Ember. Your opponent can then go up again, and then you can go into the full. So it's, and not only that, it's the detriment of stealing three and then potentially stealing what would be seven Ember after that like just going bang bang one after the other can be it can be quite a tempo swing in your favor the back-to-back steel plays like that Mm -hmm. i think that is the perfect illustration of when when we look at this card we think action card alpha omega okay so not doing anything else but the thing that would be easy to forget that is a factor in this card when you're deciding how to make these plays is that it's the only card that's leaving your hand unless you've got um, in AOA, I can't even think of anything else that would really happen passively right at the starter end of the turn. Redlock. Um, uh, oh, Redlock, for sure. Redlock. So you'd actually get note. four Ember if you have a Redlock on board. That's right. That's right. So, so, but that that is another factor for good or for ill in Swindle is that you're only playing one card, yeah. one card from hand. So you're getting, you are getting a good tempo swing for the cost of a single card if that's something that's going to help you definitely i would i would completely agree it, it is a great card and you know what it is sometimes swindle it is only one card but sometimes it's a hail mary like yeah your your deck's getting down you know it's if it's all you have and taking three is going to survive you for one more turn sometimes that's that's all you need yeah. And like like we've mentioned, even if you really want that amber, uh, the flip side of it is you might be needing to cycle. You might have a bunch of other Shadows cards in your hand, and you kind of alluded to this, but it might not be so good, even if Stealing 3 is nice, if you can do a little bit of amber control and Shadows and you need to play some cards and and get uh, keep getting through your deck, then then you're probably going to need to pitch Swindle, even if the Stealing the stealing would be nice, because it, it just locks you to that, that one card, so... That is yeah, true. There's a, yeah, it's a lot more going on with Swindle than like I thought when I just first saw the card. There's an awful lot to consider uh, just playing this single, single card. I agree. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. I, I kind of, in a way, wish we saw some more Alpha Omega action cards in the future just because mm. it is kind of interesting that you have to decide this is all I'm going to do this turn. And obviously discarding is always a viable option, but knowing the great, I guess, big brain plays you could use by just deciding I'm only going to play one card this turn, like the, the demon, the, oh my goodness, words are failing me now, like the example you gave with Nathan uh, using in that capacity. And it's, it's literally so early in the game that it's, it's, it really was such a big brain play. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. He, he, I think he talked, I believe it was his Deck Discovery episode on Call of Discovery. He talked about Confage and he talked about that play specifically because uh, Alex did or didn't mulligan. And I know he held onto his hand because he had Swindle and he had seen Eureka already in Alex's deck. And he said, I can't let him beat me off of the starting line with Eureka. Like, I can't let that happen if I want to maintain enough tempo to to outplay him. Very interesting indeed. So uh, I think that's going to wrap it up for the Swindle discussion, uh, Zach, unless you have any other points you want to bring up. 
No, no, I, th- I think we've covered it covered it pretty thoroughly. I think we've covered it pretty thoroughly. All right. Well, of course, we cannot end an episode without the titular segment. We call this one Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And this week, I happen to have one. Uh, I apologize if my voice is sounding a little bit nasally. I just got over uh, dealing with my first bout of COVID, which was uh, just mm. a, an absolute blast. But uh, I did get to play Keyforge, and due to the fact that I was moving and my job is taking up a little bit more time than I normally would like to, I did not get to play a ton of Keyforge, and so I hadn't played a game in probably, I would say, like two weeks at least, like nothing. Mm. And I chose to go on TCO and play a game, and I, of course, decided to play one of my most cerebral sequenced decks that I own, (laughs) which is so much fun. It's a Dark Tidings deck. I absolutely love the deck, and I know how it plays, but for some reason, I got caught up in... One of, I guess, the the chase cards. So it's got a, a gross and hangs in it. And uh, I absolutely love Calm Officer Gross and Hings. And I particularly love getting it as a opening hand. And the reason being is uh, you can get one of them. I believe it's um, Hings is the one that allows you to draw, right? Or is that uh, gross? I believe so. I yeah, believe I, think so. It's, I think it's Hings. So... I really enjoy having Hings as the starting hand. So what you do is you drop Hings, you pull Gross into your hand, and hopefully you have a couple, like one or two other Star Lions creatures, so that your opponent literally looks at this, knows you just pulled the other piece into your hand, but you didn't play it, and you Mm. literally just leave it there and be like, you have to kill this this turn, or next turn I can reap, and I, you know I have both pieces, and I'm going to put stuff in between. It creates like a really nice pressure point, and uh, yeah, I just I just find it's really fun to use it this way. Now that being said, getting caught up with the chase card aspect of it, it makes me want to do it when sometimes it is the wrong thing to do. Mm. Because this deck has this amazing Star Alliance lineup, but the truth is it's the Saurians that do all the work. Mm, the Star sure. Alliance lineup is used as a byproduct of getting to use the dinosaurs. So it is Magister Vita. The deck has two of them. So the idea is you actually play your Vitas, which then allow you to reap into your Star Alliance stuff and utilize them. And one of the key things is this deck is a triple diplomat Agung as well. So you go Vitas into the Agungs and you can just daisy chain reap all the way down. Amazing. and it's, it's a lot of fun, but the key is, the sequencing is you have to utilize the dinos and then have the star lines be used as a byproduct of the dinos, not using the star lines. Because if you go out of sequence, you lose the tempo the deck creates by having this really wide board of dinos and star lions. So I completely forgot that and I literally jumbled it all up. And it was, oh my goodness, it was like the rust was very apparent when I sat down. So don't forget what your deck does, folks. This is the the lesson of this. You know what your deck does. <laughs> Stick to the game plan. Do not try and call an audible. And uh, yeah, it was just remember your sequencing, especially in Dark Tidings. And don't try and uh, go off the beaten trail, so to speak, because sometimes it just doesn't work out the best way. Mm-hmm. 
the the better I get at Keyforge, uh, the more sequencing options I start to see, even in fairly straightforward like AOA decks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how yeah, that works, right? Oh, for sure, for sure. It's uh, like it, so many instances where I realized, wow, I was not a good enough player to fully realize a few tricks this deck could do. Even if it's not, you know, a top tier Archon solo deck, just pulling off some tricks on the board. Um, yeah, I am still, I'm still like catching up with so many, so many decks that I play. It's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. That's a good way of putting it. It is a beautiful thing. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, this is Zach's farewell too for, uh, for the time being. Zach, it's been an absolute pleasure having you guest star with me. Uh, we haven't got a chance to chat for a while, so it's been really nice getting to have some Keyforge discussions. I mean, we've known each other for three years now, which is kind of interesting to say. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for uh, allowing me to to come on and just fill in for a little bit. Uh, Yeah, it's been uh, a blast. And uh, I've had some Google Docs growing with age on notes on when is this card good? So I was uh, it was the absolute best place to give it a give it a launch here on Help from Future Self, and uh, mentioned this in the first episode where we talked about it. But uh, yeah, I would love. I, I absolutely do not need to be present on any when is this card good stuff. If you want to just do when is this card good content, you know, hearing hearing it more on Help from Future Self or doing blog posts, like go for it. I would I would love every card to be covered at some point. That would take the whole community. So go for it. All right, fair, fair, fair dinkum. Uh, if if I'm uh, going to do it, we, we may come up with another segment, but we will definitely use it for the next episode when uh, Sydney returns from her summer vacation. Mm. And uh, yes, we will. You can definitely look for Sydney on the next episode. Uh, thank you so much, Zach. And uh, where can people find you if they want to sing your praises from the rooftops? <laughs> Uh, well, I might I might shirk and, and hide if they're trying to sing my praises that loudly. Uh, but if you want to <laughs> chat, you can always hit me up on Twitter. I'm Z-A-C-H underscore Legweek, Zach underscore Legweek on Twitter, quite active on there. Uh, also, just type Zach uh, or Zach Armstrong into any of the Keyforge discords. I believe I'm in pretty much, uh, I'm in most, if not all, of the kind of big active public ones and a number of regional ones, too. So... Just uh, hit me up there, especially Keyforge Lounge, Sanctimonious are probably the biggest ones I'm a part of. Fantastic. And of course, you can also find me on Discord, the best way to get at me. It is Boulevard Blake number sign 3840. That's BLVD Blake number sign 3840. I know my YouTube has been quite inactive. I was hoping to get some content out this week, but due to the COVID situation, I was not having any energy to do so but it is coming and it is going to be coming out the gates hot i think so uh, please stay tuned for that and uh as always folks stay fortunate